Hey, you're listening to the Quarry Podcast. Get ready to be encouraged and uplifted with us today. I'm going to ask you guys as a favor to me just to open your hearts and minds because I know that God wants to really speak to us through this tonight. He's going to help us a lot through this tonight. He's helped me a lot already through these verses tonight. Um, But I believe there's something really special and really specific he wants to speak to us. Can you guys hang in there with me tonight? Okay, I trust you. I'm in it with you. So tonight, I want to talk about what do we do when things don't work out? What do we do when things don't work out? And we belong to a church where we really proudly say we're faith people. This means that we trust God no matter what. This means that we believe in him in the midst of anything. This means that we keep our faith engaged and we are always expecting good things and believing for good things. But if you've been alive on this planet for more than three or five years, you've realized there are things that don't work out sometimes, right? Sometimes there's a relationship where we wanted to see restoration, but instead a family breaks apart. Or sometimes we're believing for somebody to see healing and instead they see heaven. And sometimes, I knew I was going to get emotional, you guys, and I'm sorry about it. But there is such good news for us in the midst of these situations tonight. And I'm emotional because my heart is to help you. Because I know every single one of you in here has a situation that feels like this. Maybe it's now, maybe it was a few years ago and you're still feeling it. And maybe it's in your future But it's important to ask ourselves, hey, what do we do when things don't work out? If we're faith people, what do we do when it looks like our faith didn't work? What do we do when it looks like God didn't come through? What do we do when it doesn't turn out the way we want it to? What do we do? So I'm excited to talk to you guys about this because it's important. But I know that these are really honest questions. They don't have to be hard questions, but they're honest questions. And if you've walked through anything, you've thought these because we've all been disappointed. We've all been disappointed in areas in our lives. So tonight we're going to answer these questions. Where is God in these situations? And what do we do? And what does faith look like in these situations? And God is so merciful. He gave us like a giant Bible. I haven't read the whole thing. But he's got plenty of stories and illustrations and people in here that walk through things just like you and I are walking through. And he shows us, what do you do? What do you do when you're a faith person and this happens? So the first person that we're going to look at tonight is King David. And we're going to look at Psalms 37, verses 25 through 26 in the Passion. And I love this verse. Amzie read it last week. It's a really old Israel Houghton song. If any of you want to go listen to it from like 2010, that's what introduced me to this verse. And I've loved it ever since. And David says this, I was once young, but now I'm old. And not once have I found a lover of God forsaken by him, nor have any of their children gone hungry. So David is saying like, hey, I'm speaking out of my old age and my wisdom here. I was a kid once, but I'm not anymore. And I've never seen the people of God forsaken. He goes on to say, instead, I found the godly ones to be the generous ones who give freely to others. Their children are blessed and they become a blessing. So this is a really strong faith statement he makes. He says, I have never, never have I ever, if you will, seen the righteous forsaken. This is a really strong statement, right? 
Never have I ever seen the righteous forsaken. And he was a king, so he saw a lot in life. You know, a lot of times people would look at somebody like that and think like, oh, they have everything. They have wealth and they have power. But when we look at his life, there was a lot of difficulty. Some of it was by his own doing. He made some poor decisions at times, like we all do. But he still makes this statement at the end of his life. He says, I've lived a lot of life, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And I want to show you something that happened to him in 2 Samuel 12. And it's in verses 15 through 23. And it's interesting in light of that other verse. After Nathan the prophet went home, it says, God afflicted the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and he came down sick. So we can pause here and realize Dr. Jacobs has taught us really well that God is a good God, and he can't make people sick because he doesn't even have any sickness to give them. And when we see some of this in the Bible, it's a poor translation. Dr. Jacobs went to seminary. I did not. He studied Hebrew and Greek. I did not. But if you look these verses up in Hebrew, which is what the original written language was, it says that God allowed these things. Not that he made the child sick, but he had to allow that child to be sick. God can't make people sick, but when you and I make decisions to remove ourselves from his protection, God can't control what happened to us. He loves us enough to give us a total free will, to give us complete authority in our life and says, hey, I love you. I'm here to help you. But what happens in your life is up to you. If you walk with me, I got you. But if you're going to make decisions to step out of protection and do things I told you would hurt you, then the enemy is going to have a foothold into your life. So we can clear that up really quick, okay? That's what's going on here. And if you have questions about that, ask me later. So David's son became sick, and it says David prayed desperately to God for the little boy. So he's using his faith. He fasted. He didn't go out. He slept on the floor. And the elders in his family came in and tried to get him off the floor, but he wouldn't budge. They couldn't get him to eat anything. And on the seventh day, seven days of David doing this and pleading with God, his child died. His servants were afraid to tell him. They said, what will we do? While the child was living, he wouldn't listen. To a word we said, and now with his child dead, if we speak to him, there's no telling what he'll do. So they knew how committed he was to see God come through here. He had acted kind of crazy for seven days, praying and seeking God about this situation. And they were scared to tell him because they didn't know how he would react. But he noticed that they were whispering behind his back and he realized that the child must have died. And so he asked the servants, is the boy dead? And they said, yes, he is. So David got up from the floor, and he washed his face, and he combed his hair. I knew this was going to happen, you guys. I'm so sorry. I cry a lot. You guys know that anyway. <laughs> but I knew I would tonight. He got up from the floor, and he washed his face, and he combed his hair, and he put on a fresh change of clothes. And he went into the sanctuary and he worshiped. And when they came home, he asked for something to eat. And they said it before him. And he ate. And this was surprising to everybody. His servants asked him, what's going on with you? While your child was alive, you fasted and wept and stayed up all night. Now that he's dead, you get up and eat. While the child was alive, he said, I fasted and wept, thinking God might have mercy on me and that the child would live. But now that he's dead, why fast? Can I bring him back now? I can go to him, but he can't come back to me. And this story is so powerful, especially in light 
of realizing that David later in his life said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And we can look at that and say, how can he say that when we look back at his life story? Doesn't it seem here that maybe he was forsaken? He was praying and what he prayed for didn't happen, right? How can he say, I was young, but now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And the answer is because he wasn't. He wasn't forsaken. And it shows us the key to what he did. It says in the midst of that, when he had prayed God and prayed and asked God to move and prayed and asked God for healing. And when the situation was over, he got up and he went and he worshiped. Because listen, he wasn't forsaken. He knew where his help was. Why did he go worship? Because in the hardest moment and in the darkest moment and in the middle of all that heartbreak, he said, listen, this hurts, but I know there's help. And I know there is healing. And I know that I am not forsaken. It doesn't matter what this looks like or how it turned out. I'm not forsaken and there's help. And he says this in Psalms 121, 1 through 8. I love this so much. This is the same guy, David. He says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. And the Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. This was written after his son died, but we can see he knew it when his son died. He says, listen, I look up to God because I know where my help comes from. So in the middle of a difficult situation, he demonstrated great faith saying, listen, this didn't turn out the way that I wanted to, but I'm not left out to dry. I'm going to step up and I'm going to get my healing. I'm going to step up and I'm going to receive my hope. I'm going to step up and I'm going to raise my hands in worship because I know that the only place I'll get help through this is from God. That's it. And too many times when things happen and things don't work out the way people want to, they will run from God and try and turn to every single other thing on the planet for help. And there is no help in those things. That's why their lives fall apart. That's why we see divorce mess people up forever. That's why we see the death of a loved one mess people up forever because there was help available. They were not forsaken. But instead of running to God like David did, they ran from God. God because they blamed him and they were angry. And that is a deceitful lie from the devil to say that in those situations, we need to seek help outside of God. There is no help outside of God. David said it. Listen, he was the king. He had all the money. He had all the stuff. He had all the people. He had all the property and all the power. And he still knew there's one place where I can get help. Just one. And we see him go on to have a beautiful life full of the power of God, full of the move of God, full of success and achievement, all because in that moment he decided, no, I'm going to go worship and I'm going to get my help. I'm not going to let this devastate me. And this is such, such a message to us that, listen, what you do in the face of tragedy determines the damage that situation can do in your life. 
this situation had the potential to do great damage to David's life. Great damage. I can think of nothing worse that could happen in your life. And he walked through it. This situation could have ruined him. But why didn't it? Because of his response. His response determined the level of damage that situation could do in his life. And it's the same for you and me. When we walk through difficulty and when things fall apart on us, our response will determine how much damage that situation can cause in our life. And the good news is it doesn't have to cause any. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and that it doesn't feel difficult sometimes, but it does mean that there can be total healing and restoration, total recovery, a total advancement and moving forward. I don't have to be destroyed or slowed down by any situation in my life now until forever. Because God has provided help. The righteous are not forsaken. And it's so exciting to see too, that really if we look at this and all throughout the Psalms, we see this recurring theme of David talking about, you know, the Lord was with me. God, you're with me. God, you're with me. God, you're my help. God, you're with us. You know, and God was with him. But God is not just with us because of what Jesus did. God is in us. And that is something that David never got the chance to experience on this earth. Jesus died just so we could go to heaven. But more than that, heaven could be in us. God isn't just with you. He's in you. And he tells us this in John 14, 26. He's showing us what's in us here. It says, but the helper... We're talking about help, right? Help when we need it. The helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, and the strengthener and standby, which is the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name and in my place to represent me and act on my behalf, will teach you all things. What is God saying? Listen, this is what is available to you when everything breaks apart, when things don't go the way that you've planned. Uh, it says this, you've got a helper, you've got a comforter, You've got an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, and a standby. That is everything you need. You are not forsaken. You're never left out to dry. You're not alone. You don't have to be damaged. We have a helper. We have a comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, and a standby. I love every single one of those words. There's nothing else that we need. All of this is inside of you, but you have to run to God and get the help you need. David had a choice, and so do you. David made the right choice, and I want to see you make the right choice too. All of this is inside of you, but if you run to the wrong things, you'll miss out on all the help that God has for you. All of it. These things are available, but you have to choose them. And I want to say to you, run to God and run to worship and realize that when you do that, you're running to your help. You have to make the mature decision sometimes to receive help rather than do what's comfortable and what you feel like doing. When you're really upset and when it's a really bad day and things really didn't go the way you wanted them to and you're really disappointed, you will not feel like putting on different clothes and going to church. That's what David did. It said he got up, he cleaned himself up, he put on different clothes and he went to church and worshiped. I 100% guarantee you, God can talk to me about this in heaven when I'm, if I'm wrong, but I guarantee David didn't feel like doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't the easy decision to do. If we look across humanity, we can see that really when people are walking through a death of a loved one, that's not what they do. Why? Because none of us feel like doing that. But your decision to do that is a decision to take advantage of all the help God has for you because we are not forsaken. 
And God illustrates this beautifully too in the life of Paul. These are two major, major, major characters from the Bible. And if we look at Paul, one thing he says in Hebrews 10, 23, and then right after that, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 14. So we'll pull these up kind of back to back. Paul says this, now wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us. Key point here, knowing that God always keeps his promises. That's a big statement, just like David's, God always keeps his promises. And the next verse, we'll look at something Paul said here. Similarly, he said, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Always. What is Paul saying? He's making two really big faith statements here. God always keeps his promises and he always causes us to triumph. Always. And it's interesting when we look at the life of Paul that he makes these statements. Just like David, his life was full of a lot of difficulty. He was jailed many times. He was beaten many times. Uh, he was shipwrecked one time. And even at the end of his life, he was crucified. He was crucified. That's how his life ended. But even so, this is the man who stood and said, God always keeps his promises and he always causes me to triumph. How is he able to make those statements from jail, right? Some of these letters he wrote to us in the Bible, he wrote from jail. How is this making sense? He's saying God always keeps his promises and God has always caused me to triumph. How is this true? And I want to look in Hebrews 10, 32 through 39. He tells us, he says, don't you remember those days right after the light shined in your hearts? You endured a great marathon season of suffering hardships, yet you stood your ground. So he's telling them like, hey, listen, remember, you guys have been through some rough times. <laughs> At times you were publicly and shamefully mistreated. You were persecuted for your faith. And then at other times you stood side by side with those who preached the message of hope. You sympathized with those in prison, and when all your belongings were confiscated, you accepted that violation with joy, convinced that you possess a treasure in heaven that can never be taken from you. So don't lose your bold, courageous faith, for you are destined for a great reward. You need the strength of endurance to reveal the poetry of God's will, and then you will receive the promise in full. So he's given us some big keys here. He says, soon and very soon, the one who is coming uh, will appear without delay. <laughs> I got that very backwards, but I think I said the right thing still. <laughs> and he also says, my righteous ones, here we go. This is the part I want to get to. My righteous ones will live from my faith, but if fear holds them back, my soul is not content with them. But we are certainly not those who are held back by fear and perish. We are among those who have faith and experience true life. So this was a long passage, but he starts off by saying, listen, we've all been through some rough times. We've all had some difficult things happen to us. But what is the key to overcoming all of that? How can he say that God always keeps his promises and God always causes us to triumph? He says it there in verse 38, because we are people who live by faith. How can I say that God always comes through for me? Because I live by faith and so he does. Even when the situation doesn't work out the way that I want it to, God is still coming through for me. God is still there to help me. God is still ministering on my behalf because I live by faith. That's how Paul could say that. He said, God always comes through. And people would have probably looked at his life and said, no, he doesn't. Remember how many times you've been thrown in jail? Remember when you were beaten? 
Remember when you were shipwrecked, you could have died then? But he said, no, because I live by faith, I made it through all of that. I'm still standing here today. Faith is the victory, and it doesn't mean the bad things or difficult things don't happen, but it does mean that we can have victory even in the middle of them, even when it's all going on around us. Paul chose to live by faith because really he had no other choice. He chose to live by faith. But if the Bible says that faith is the victory, what does that victory look like? Faith is the victory. We say faith is the victory, and in our minds, we're thinking that that automatically means faith means this will work out the way I want it to. Faith means my prayer will be answered, right? Faith means the situation will be fixed. But if we look at the life of Paul, I don't think that was his definition of faith. If he said, I live by faith, and God always causes me to triumph... How do we reconcile that with the fact that he spent so much time in jail and was so persecuted? If faith is the victory and living by faith brings victory, then I want to ask, what does victory look like in times of difficulty? Do you want to know? I love this part. 2 Timothy 4.18. Really good. Good. I love this. It says this, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is writing this to Timothy. And this is an excellent illustration here of his faith. He is saying, the Lord will deliver me. What does that typically mean? Get me out of these hard situations, right? Which we see that that was true in his life. And preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. I want to look at this word preserve because I believe having victory in the midst of difficult situations means that I'm preserved. It doesn't mean the situation's not happening, but it means that I am preserved even in the midst of it. Even though I went through something hard, I don't have to come out damaged, right? Even if I've suffered abuse, I don't have to be crippled for life. Even if I experience extreme disappointment, I don't have to live in fear. Even if I lost something that mattered to me, I don't have to be distrustful of God. Faith means that I'm preserved through every situation and I'm victorious in the end. Why? Because I'm standing here and that didn't damage me even when it had a lot of power and it could have. Even though it tried, even though maybe it did to other people, I was preserved because I walk by faith. Even though I experienced that, I was not damaged by it. I'm preserved, I love this, from the effects and the defects of what I went through. It doesn't mean I didn't go through it, but man, it means I was preserved. And my heart breaks to see people in this world who've walked through extremely difficult things and they come out damaged. Have you noticed that a lot of the just really, um, just ugh, most just disgusting murders and things like that happen um, because the, the murderer was somebody who was severely abused, right? It doesn't make what they did right. But when you look at their backstory, you think, well, good God. <laughs> oh, I see why that happened, right? Their abuse just wreaked great havoc in their life and did in the lives of those around them too eventually when they began to act on that kind of stuff. And that is the difference of what faith makes in our life that even though horrific things can happen to us and around us, we come out on the other side preserved. When we look at the three Hebrew children, you know, 
their prayer, maybe, I mean, my prayer would be this, I guess, if they were going to throw me in a fiery furnace, I would probably be praying to be delivered from that. And what I mean by delivered is not thrown in, <laughs> right? <laughs> Lord, move. <laughs> Let's get something going, God. <laughs> not trying to go in there. So I'm just assuming that was their line of thought. I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but that would be mine. If I was facing that situation, which they were, they knew what they were up against. My prayer and my faith would be for God to deliver me so that I wouldn't have to be thrown into the furnace. But we see in that story, something even more miraculous really happened. They were thrown into the furnace. But when they came out, not only were they alive, but they didn't even smell like they had been in there. And their clothes weren't even burned from being in there. And that was a greater testament to other people to say, look, we were thrown in the fire and it couldn't touch us. There is no effect. There's no evidence that we were in there. You can't tell that I went through something so difficult because I was preserved. That is what faith will do. Faith will preserve you so that you can come out of these situations and not even look like you've been through it and not even smell like you've been through it, not even act like you've been through it. And really it'll help other people because hurt people hurt people. And if I let the situations of life hurt me, I'm eventually going to hurt you. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm grateful that faith can preserve us. It doesn't mean that I walk through it. But it means that I come out healed and whole and not damaged. And that doesn't have to hold, have a hold on me for the rest of my life. So you can be preserved. We can all be preserved. Run to the house of God. Run to God in worship. Take advantage of all the help that he's offering. And live by faith. And realize that even when things are difficult, you are being preserved. You're being kept by the power of God. And I want to look at 2 Timothy 4.18 again. The second part of what he says here, he says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for what? I had to ask you guys that because I had to belch, (laughs) so I needed a moment. (laughs) Exactly. For his heavenly kingdom, you are being preserved to heaven. Paul is saying that you're going to be preserved to heaven. And I just want to take a minute to remind you tonight as we head towards closing that that is the greatest miracle. Our salvation, our ability to go to heaven, we want to see a miracle we already have. We are are living in that. That is something I never could have brought about on my own. That is the greatest miracle. Paul is pointing that out to us. He's saying, hey, your faith will preserve you. But listen, it's preserving you for heaven. That's where we're headed. And you know, When we're praying a lot of times and believing for a miracle, like I said earlier, we're talking about like God fixing a relationship or healing somebody's body or changing a situation. And these are the kind of miracles that we're asking for. And I want to make it clear, the Bible says that we can believe for these miracles and that we should believe for these miracles. And I have been in this church and with God long enough that I have seen these miracles over and over and over and over and over. Do you believe miracles happen? I do, yes, and I'm going to always believe for miracles. But at the end of the day, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that the greatest miracle has already been done, and that's our salvation. Jesus died so that your spirit that was dead could be brought to life. That's a miracle. We can't see it, but we experience it. And so many times we have thought about that so much, and it's just kind of, you know, it just kind of is. Like, I, I got saved when I was like five, 
It wasn't a very powerful experience. <laughs> now, I've always known I was saved. I never questioned it. It was real. But it wasn't, you know, like my leg didn't grow out. I didn't fly across the room. I didn't see angels, uh, you know, and I was a child. So I knew what I was doing, but, you know, it just it wasn't miraculous, right? Maybe your salvation was different. Maybe it felt really miraculous. But because sometimes we, we don't even think about this, I don't want to overlook that, that that is the greatest miracle. And because of that miracle, every single one of us in here can live without fear, Live without fear. We don't have to be afraid of death. And how remarkable is that? So crazy. So many people I know are afraid of death. There are so many questions surrounding death for them. I have no questions at all. <laughs> I know that when it happens for me, I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven. All my dreams will come true. I'm not scared of that at all. And so the miracle that Jesus bought for us completely removed any power that death had. The Bible makes these wonderful statements. It says, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Right? Death tries to act like it's such a scary, just horrible, you know, devastating, unknown thing. That's how the world views death, and that's how the devil wants us to view death. But I'll never look at it that way. The Bible is literally making fun of it, almost saying, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? What do you have here that's scary? Death can't separate you from the love of God, the Bible tells us, right? In fact, it brings you to heaven, closer to the love of God. Literally, couldn't be any closer, right? It even goes as far as to say, to die is gain. When people go to heaven, we should never ever say, well, you know, we lost them. Or they lost their battle to something. Are you kidding me? You're going to look at somebody who's standing next to Jesus, perfectly whole, in perfect peace and joy, and tell them that they lost? I would never. <laughs> no. To die is gain. That's miraculous. Do you see how foreign this way of thinking is? Do we think about it this way? It doesn't mean that sometimes there's not emotions that can accompany situations when someone we love dies. Certainly. But listen, they have gained the ultimate victory. Their faith preserved them unto the heavenly kingdom. That's the whole point. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have hope. So even when somebody goes to heaven, we're still witnessing a miracle. Hey, there's the fruition of their salvation. That's what they've waited for since the day they were saved. Right? That's where we all belong. That's our home. And I want to say this to you tonight, too, as we really close this time. I shared with you guys at the beginning of this year that uh, my focus was on peace, right? Last year, I did not have a lot of peace, and I needed to have a lot of peace. So this year, I've become uh, almost aggressive <laughs> in my peace, which that is an oxymoron. <laughs> but if you try and get me out of my peace, I'm not going to be super kind to you. It's going to really irritate me, okay? You know, there's even been situations this year where I haven't got upset about something, and other people have wanted me to be upset about that thing. And I said, I don't care. I'm not losing my peace over it. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. And I just want to say, you know, all these things we've talked about, running to God and receiving help and, and standing by faith and believing that no matter what we go through, we're preserved. A lot of times what I've asked myself this year, when it's felt hard to hold on to my peace or when situations have come against me, you know, I've just had to say, well, what's the other option here? I can fall apart. I can give up my peace. 
I can allow depression and anxiety to come back in. I can allow anger to come. I can allow unforgiveness to come. But in the end, that only makes me miserable. Like, I've learned to love peace so much, I won't live without it. I like my life so much better with peace, so much better with peace, that it doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to stand here and say, what's the other option? For me, there is none. My peace is the only option. My faith is the only option because I've tried the alternative and I didn't like it. I don't like how it feels to be falling apart. I don't like how it feels to be depressed or anxious. I don't like how it feels to be in unforgiveness. It affects me negatively every day of my life, and I don't enjoy my life very much. So what's the other option? There is none for me. We saw that uh, Peter in the Bible said it this way. Jesus preached a sermon, and it, like, wasn't very popular, and he had had kind of a big following at that point, but when he preached this sermon, almost everybody left. They didn't know what he was talking about. They thought it was really weird, and I appreciate that we see so much of Jesus' humanity, I feel like, in this comment. He turned to his 12 disciples, and he said, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said it like this, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? And like King David said, I look to the mountains, but is my help in the mountains? No. My help is in God. (laughs) Is my help in my power? No, it's not. Is my help in other people? No, it's not. My help is in God. To whom am I going to go when things get rough? This is what faith is built for. If I say I'm a faith person... I'm built for things like this. Doesn't mean it always is easy, but it means I know where to go for help. I can receive my help, and I'm going to live by faith so that I am preserved from the damage of this situation until I get to heaven and experience the greatest miracle in all my life, stepping over to be with Jesus. It's that simple. So for me, there's no alternative. Sometimes it's difficult. You got to work to hold on to that. This year, there have been times where, like, I just felt like if you could just see, like, my brain and stuff, I was just like, "Ah, I'm going to hold on to my peace. Like, (laughs) it was really aggressive. But that's because it mattered to me, and I just won't settle for the alternative. There's no other option for me. Faith is the only option. Faith is the only, only choice when things fall apart. And so... I want to encourage you tonight, there's help and there's hope. And, you know, we see things just don't work out. Let me close by saying this. I can't answer every question for you because I don't have the answers to every question. But I have had a lot of wise people in my life tell me, don't get hung up on asking why. You know, why did this happen? Frankly, it's not my business. You know, unless it's my life, and then I'm going to seek God and say, like, okay, Lord, am I doing something wrong? You know, help me, correct me if you need to. But when it comes to other people and people I love and people I know, it's just not my business. And I just have to settle the fact that I can't always answer the question of why something happened. But I know still that the righteous are not forsaken and that faith always causes me to triumph. And that is the truth. And it was so beautifully illustrated in the Bible. You know, when I was studying some of this... Uh, It was, I hadn't really, I don't think read this before, but Jesus' followers, all the 12 disciples, 10 of them were martyred, murdered, martyred, both. Uh, One of them died by suicide, and there was only one who died of old age, and that was John, which I think is interesting, because he says he's the apostle that Jesus loved. So I don't know if we get a better revelation of how Jesus loved us, what that would do in our life. It's just an interesting thought, but... These were the people who followed Jesus the most closely, right? 
They were followers of Jesus and people of faith and people who carried on the work even after he had gone to heaven. And even still, 10 of them were killed. You know, and instead of asking why, because I can't get the answer to that question, I'm just going to marvel at their faith and follow their example to say that even when hard things come, I'm still going to seek help from God. I'm going to receive help from God because it's there and that's a reality. And I'm still going to live by faith and that's going to preserve me until I get to heaven. So I love you guys so much. Uh, I hope that this has encouraged you. If I can help you with anything else on this topic, please let me know because I'm glad to do that. And I think this is really important and it's important to ask some of these kind of honest questions and and difficult questions that maybe we can be a little confused about. So I'm going to close in prayer and then we can hang out tonight. Thanks for listening to this message. To learn more about what's happening at The Quarry, check us out on social media 